It's the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 Live online at sportstimemain.com. Aaron Morse filling in for Maddie B on this Thursday morning. Joined in studio by Coach Dave Wing. We have a jam-packed show for you today at 1020. Seth Everett from NBC Sports Radio will be calling in. We are at the exact halfway point of the Major League Baseball season. 81 games have been played by most teams, uh, barring rainouts. And Seth will break down the big first-half storylines for us. And then at 10.30, we'll talk some World Cup. The World Cup in full swing right now. I know the U.S. is not in it, but still a big deal. Mexico got through barely, thanks to South Korea defeating Germany yesterday. Out. Germany is out. And Stuart Flaherty, his England is through to the next round as well, I believe. And so he'll be in studio to talk about some World Cup at 10.30. And 11 o'clock, we'll have the new defensive coordinator at Lewiston High School uh, this upcoming fall. Um, Two-time state champion at Dexter in the 80s. Uh, Gus LeBlanc will be in studio at 11 a.m. to talk some high school football and his new gig there at Lewiston. So it is a jam-packed show today. And Coach Wing, first of all, we were talking about this off-air, but the Red Sox won again yesterday. It was not easy but they have won 54 of their first 81 games, only the fourth time in history that's happened. The last time was in 1978 when they went 56-25 and 25 through their first 81 games. They also won 56 games in 1912 and 1946, respectively. So, obviously, you got to be pleased with the start of the year for the Sox. Yeah, we know how 78 ended, so that's not a, <laughs> right. that's not a good memory. But uh, Bucky Bleep and Dent. But, uh, yeah, you know... Uh, they've played this way most of the time for the last three years. Um, the problem has been when they get to the playoffs, the, the hitting has disappeared and the pitching has fallen apart. So, I, I, you know, Maddie's been saying, why aren't people all jacked up about the Red Sox? You know, I've been thinking about it. Now I think I have an answer as you went through the intro. Uh-huh. I think people are just saying, you know what, we, we've seen this, this movie before. And then we get to the playoffs, and we we fought. We look like we never played in a game before. I I think for me there there are a couple of big storylines. I think uh, letting Hanley go was a big, you know. I I wasn't a Hanley guy. I didn't like him even when he was a shortstop and skinny. Um, and I just don't like his attitude and the clubhouse and all that stuff. But that's just me. I think JD Martinez. You know, there was a lot of talk about what are you going to do? Are you going to go for Stanton? I mean, they're already in the highest paid payroll. They There's no way they bring in Stanton's contract in, no matter what it cuts down to. But I think Martinez has given him a, a lift. He He's had big hits. He, he's he been consistent. Not only is he hitting doubles and home runs and a lot of power, he's batting 325, something like that. I mean, he's been he – he's an all-star. He's the all-star DH, I believe. And and they found enough time for him to play in the outfield, you know, because he said, I don't want to be the full-time DH. I want to play in the outfield. Well, when you already had Benintendi, <clears throat> Bradley Jr., and Betts in the outfield, what, <laughs> it's probably the best outfield in baseball. Why would you want to fool with it? But he's found a way to take Bradley Jr. out, move Benintendi over, or play Martinez in right field, move Betts to center. He's done a few things to try to, Get him some time and also, get. quite frankly, when Bradley's in one of his slumps and all he does is strike out, get him out of the lineup, quite frankly. And then I think the the, the next biggest, if not the biggest story, is I think Cora has given them 
some life. I think the clubhouse is fun again. Like it's support. I mean, 162 games, guys. We have no idea how boring that is. <laughs> I, I know it's it's your lifetime dream to be in the major leagues and to be on the team and maybe even your favorite team. 162 games is a grind. And if you don't have some fun, I mean, not everybody likes Joe Madden, but you know the dressing up for road trip, road trips according to. You know, your favorite movie, whatever you, the category is, you got to do stuff like that. And I think with John Farrell, he saw himself, even though he wasn't, as the gunslinger, but he wasn't. He never confronted any issue. And so I think Cora has been really just what they needed. Uh, I think that he's privately gone after the guys he needed to. And I think he's pumped up the guys that needed to be pumped up. So I. I think he's done exactly what he needed to do. Yeah, so far so good for the Alex Cora era there um, in Boston. And some first-half headliners, obviously Mookie Betts hitting three thirty-eight right now with 20 home runs and 41 driven in. And you mentioned J.D. Martinez. He's been everything they paid for. Three twenty-nine batting average, 25 home runs at the halfway point. So he is on pace for 50 home runs this year. And I think he's hit. I think he's leading the league in doubles. He's got uh, 19 doubles. He actually, he and Mookie both have 19. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Xander Bogarts has 22 doubles. Oh, okay. Actually ahead of uh, J.D. There. on his yeah. own team, but there's a lot of production there. Bogarts <laughs> with 12 home runs and 44 driven in. I mean, there's a lot of offense on this Boston team. A lot of guys who are really hitting the ball hey. well. Jackie Bradley Jr., obviously not one of them, but still elite on defense. So. Yeah, and, and uh, I think they found a way to work around him, to be honest with you. Um, I think they've overcome Pedroia. Being a non-factor. I mean, he played, half, what, half a dozen games, and then he was back out. And Devers has been pretty inconsistent. Uh, when he hits it, geez, it really jumps off his bat. Yeah, but he's still he, so young. He's really young, and uh, I said, when you're young and or inexperienced of whatever combination, your, your slumps and the holes in your game take longer to, to fix. Whereas the guy that's been doing it a long time, this slump last two games, right? And then they figure out what it is you're trying to do to them, and they and they adjust to it. So he'll come around. Uh, I think the thing is, uh, Red Sox get oh my god, they get all panicked. You know, we used to say jumping off the bridge. I mean, they people in New England get all panicked, and we <laughs> we want Machado for you know the rest of the season and let, trade Devers. What are you guys talking about? It's crazy talk. <laughs> the Red Sox are in first place, by the way, at the half point by a half game over the Yankees. Yeah, Same the Yan- winning percentage, but the yeah, Yankees the Yan- have played way fewer games because of those rainouts. The have. Yankees have been... You would expect to look at the score sheet every night and find out the Yankees hit three home runs and <laughs> scored seven, eight runs. They haven't. They... I, Stanton and and uh, Judge have had games where they they can't hit anything, you know, two three strikeouts each, and and Sanchez has been out. I mean, they just haven't gotten their act together. And the next night, they score seven runs and the bullpen explodes. Uh, they just haven't put it together. Now I say that they're right in first place, but <laughs> with that team, they sure better be. Yankees. Yeah, I mean, that is, and twenty six. They right have now. really assembled a, a, a top lineup without. Unlike the old Yankees, without being at the top of the payroll list. Well, and also, I mean, home field advantage maybe not be as significant in baseball as it is in other sports, but I think it's significant for the Yankees. They're twenty nine and eleven at home this year. Just a glance at these standings. I mean, 
That's the best home record in baseball. They're obviously good on the road as well because they're, they're they're so far over 500. They're 23 and 15 on the road. But I mean that Yankee Stadium, they have the personnel to just poke those home runs in those right field seats. Well, they did two big right-handed power hitters. They're both opposite field guys. Yeah, they just go they off. They both of, are. Yeah. And just let it go, and there it is. It just falls into that little short, short right field. Uh, I always said if Ted Williams played in in uh, Yankee Stadium, he'd have hit 900 home runs. I mean, really. <laughs> well, yeah, even the old Yankee Stadium, it still yeah. flew out to right Same field. dimensions. Yeah. yeah. This one, there seems to be some sort of jet stream going on there. But yeah, I think uh, they, they turn on the air conditioning and suck the air that way or something. <laughs> what stadium was it that they accused him of that? That they Oh, I know. Either the metronome or one of those where they had it closed in and... Maybe the if, kingdom. <laughs> if, yeah, if they turned it on just right, it sucked the air to the to the outfield. I don't know, just something <laughs> crazy like that. The Yankees have played three fewer games than the Red Sox, but so it's just a matter of percentage points at this point. They actually have the same winning percentage at six sixty seven so far on the year. But those two teams, the two best records in baseball at the halfway point. Houston Astros though have just been tearing the world oh, they, apart. Yeah. They've won seven of their last ten. They had a huge winning streak a little, uh, a little while ago at 54-28. and 28. They're right there, three and a half games up on the very surprising Seattle Mariners who had a rough road trip to Fenway and Yankee Stadium. Oh, boy, that's a but tough the that's biggest, a tough one. They went 1-5 during those six games. But guess who they got to play next? The Baltimore Orioles. And they have quickly won three in a row against Baltimore. Yeah, that'll get you back game. on track. Well, the Orioles are just done. What I mean, the Orioles have only won twenty nine point one percent of their games. They have the worst winning percentage in baseball. They're twenty three and fifty six, and just watching them play, they don't. They're they're done trying. Machado hit a ball the other day, a double play ball, did not run it out. Just jogged, had to apologize. Yesterday, the Mariners got sacrificed fly to go ahead. Adam Jones could have tried to throw the runner out, didn't just threw it into second base. They're just they've done. I. Because when they start doing that, that means they want the manager out. You know, you know how that goes. Because they're not, they're not kicking all. Of, well, they will get rid of some of the players at the trade deadline. I think that's the other story for the half year that I'm sure. Well, Seth Everett talked about it last time he was on with us. Right. We're on a pace for five teams to lose a hundred games. There's some bad five. teams. It, it's horrible. <laughs> Real bad. It's the haves and have-nots, which I was always complained about with no specific salary cap and all that stuff. Not a hard cap. Uh, you know, you always worry that it's going to be like that. But, boy, the have-nots are really struggling. Orioles are terrible. The White Sox are terrible. The Royals are terrible. Um, that's in the American League. I'm being generous saying the Rangers, they're pretty bad also. <laughs> but, uh, ju- but just think, Atlanta has got a bunch of young kids in there first place. They're two and a half games up on Philadelphia in the NL well. East. Three and a half up on Washington. That'll be a good race. Between the two kind of surprising teams, Atlanta and Philadelphia, and the team people expected to win the division, Washington still hanging in there. But I don't know what's up with them. That that team has never made any sense to me. <laughs> well, Strasburg is obviously out. He's injured. Harper is not hitting like he normally should hit. But, yeah, the Marlins are terrible in the National League. The Mets have become terrible in the National League. Um, they started off hot, but they're terrible now. Cincinnati's not good, although they're, they've recovered a little bit. San Diego's pretty although, bad. Although, what's his name? He's pitching great for them now. The guy Ooh. from the Mets. Um, oh, Harvey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, change of scenery. You know, yeah, well, classic, he's out of the nightlife in New York, they say. Classic change of scenery yeah. there. Um, Cincinnati, there's not a lot to do there. So, um, one of the smaller markets, actually, in Major League Baseball. But, yeah, there's some bad teams out there. In the American League playoff race, the Angels have dropped off completely. They've lost five in a row. The Red Sox have been dominating them. I wish the Red Sox could play them. Yeah. <laughs> them in Baltimore, oh, back and forth. Let's go back and forth. The Great Angels guys. are down to 41 and 40 there. Uh, nine games back in the wild card. And you know what's Oakland's incredible? Oakland's ahead of them now. I, I, 
everybody says Mike Sosa is a great manager, blah, blah, blah. You know what? When was the last time they were relevant? I mean, Who? think about it. The Angels? The Angels. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean they, they just haven't done much. They have and Mike Trout, got, the best player in baseball. And Pujols. Have you seen Pujols? Oh, he's, is still hitting a ton. Hitting a little bit. He's he not can't as run. Good. Yeah, no. <laughs> my, daughter, my daughter went to see the Red Sox uh, with a friend. They get the great dugout tickets. And she said, hey, Dad, what the heck's now with Pujols? I said, well, his legs are gone. She goes, gone? He could barely walk to first base, let alone run. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so the Angels, they've kind of wasted Mike Trout's prime. And- yeah. They're, they've been and hurt, I think though. Otani got injured. There's been a I lot of injuries. I think he'll leave. I really do. Oh, Trout. With yeah. a with a with a thing with a uh, a player like that, when you play on the West Coast, you know you're from Seattle. They never get seen. People have no idea who's playing for Seattle and 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 L. A. and and I mean, uh, it's hard. Angels. It's hard to watch those West Coast teams out here. <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna. He watch. He's gonna go to the East Coast. He's gonna go to the Yankees or somebody like that. Well, we were joking. And, he hits so well in Safeco Field where the Mariners yeah. play. He should just go to Seattle, <laughs> come up the coast a little bit. But uh. <laughs> the only place he hasn't hit a home run on in the park he's played in. He hasn't there, played in every. There's park. one he hasn't hit a home run in Fenway. He's never really? hit a home run in Fenway. They had it on, uh, you know, wow. Nesson. They have this little quiz, and you got to join, join into the next segment <laughs> to find out. And it was like Fenway Park because I was thinking, really? God, he owns us. I can't believe he hasn't hit a home run there. Never hit a home run yeah. in Fenway. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's more of a line drive hitter. I think he's one of those guys who gets the long single because it hits it and it bounces into the second baseman. You know, one of those. Yeah, so the American League, it seems like the playoffs are pretty much set. It's just a matter of who's going to be where, even though oh. we're only halfway through the year. I don't Can you imagine the Red Sox and the Yankees? One of them is going to be in a one-game playoff? Um, yeah, that's going to be a great it's gonna be a great division race now because you don't want to give oh, you that you one game. You want to avoid the one-game playoff if at all possible. Well, because if you do, you know what? If Let's say you could line it up so you know you're going to be in the one game, so you line up your pitching staff. you you got to pitch sale. If you're the Red Sox, you got to pitch sale in that game. Yeah. Now you got to go to well, a... A series with I a, went to the game the with other another day. team, and you and you're throwing your number two to start it. You you can't. I mean, it's nuts. I went to the Red Sox Mariners game on Sunday at Fenway. Sale looked oh untouchable. He was phenomenal in that game. Did you see what they did with his his um, wind up? Uh, well, he does three he, quarters. He was turned, yeah, but he was turned and doing really the same motion. But he, he wasn't really getting his hips into it, and they noticed it, and they they said, look, in this one in the old days, you could see his number on the back of his jersey, and suddenly he wasn't he wasn't using that technique at all, and all of a sudden his fastball had lost a whole bunch. He wasn't getting his curveball over. They made that little correction. His fastball is faster now than it was four years ago. He's picked up that much speed on his fastball. He hit 100 a couple times the other night, uh, and you could just see it on his face. He is It's almost like a, a piano taken off on his back because he was struggling, and he just couldn't figure out why. And the, uh, the, the, the pitching coach noticed that he, he, wasn't, he wasn't turned square to the plate when he started his windup, so he wasn't getting any torque in his body, and suddenly... Like I said, he's he's got, he had a hundred a couple times. Yeah, he was terrific, and we do have Seth Everett from NBC Sports Radio on the line with us now. Seth, how's it going today? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. 
Oh, yeah, not a problem. You're on here at Sports Time 780 up here in Maine. We're at the exact halfway point of the yeah. baseball season, so we're excited to have you on to talk baseball again. Um, just give me maybe three storylines that have really stood out to you at this halfway point that have you excited or maybe worried about the second half. <laughs> Uh, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I'm most interested in, um, baseball's attendance is down 6.5%. That's a 15-year low. Uh, right now, there are 512 more strikeouts than hits. And uh, right now, there are 10,000 less balls hit in play than 2009. Wow. I think the sport is in a crisis. And uh, if you talk about a storyline, I think it's a storyline that's starting to get a little bit more publicity. But the reality of it is, it's not enough. Interesting. So those are all negative things. What are some things maybe you're excited yeah, about? Those are big negatives. Maybe some teams that have been really intriguing to you. I know I, I share your concerns, though, certainly about the balls not being in play and everything. But maybe some nice surprises you've seen in the first half, perhaps. Uh, well, I'm happy that Atlanta and Philadelphia uh, have done well. I'm happy that the uh, Seattle Mariners have played well. Yep. Uh, those are three organizations, two of which I, I have have some ties to. He's a uh, Seattle fan, Seattle. by the way. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, baseball has five teams right now that are on pace to lose 100 games, and I think the competitive balance is a bit of an issue. The best pennant races are in the National League, where, you know, the favorites, Chicago, uh, Washington, and the Dodgers, all have somebody as a contender, you know, Arizona, Colorado, Milwaukee in first place. Uh, Atlanta and Philadelphia we mentioned. So hopefully we get some good races in the National League. I think the races are kind of over in the American League. Yeah, it is crazy how the races there's are a, over. There's like a little that. bit of an echo. I, I don't know if there's something you guys can do. Oh, I hear it's myself e more e than I hear you guys. Echo in your ear? Oh, well, it sounds great on our yeah. end. I'm not sure. <laughs> so oh, good. Well, as long as it's <laughs> Uh, sorry about that. You sound that, great but, on the air. Yeah, so. you sound great yeah. on the air. So sorry about that echo you're hearing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if my head explodes, it'll be live on your show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Seth, you know, if you, Seth, if you want to let your hair down, and you got you two guys can talk Mariners baseball. I know you're a Mariners fan. Wait. Yeah, well, how I used to work for them. But uh, hold on. I can try something that's only going to work in my head. Okay. Your attention, please. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Number 23, Don Mattingly. <laughs> that, that probably sounded great with the echo, right? I like it. That's good. That sounded, that sounded great in my head. <laughs> I have a great Bob Shepard story. You want to hear a great Bob Shepard story? Absolutely. So Bob Shepard, the legendary uh, public address announcer for Yankee Stadium, uh, he was also the PA announcer for the Giants, and I met him in a men's room. And the Giants were losing to the Washington Redskins in the press room men's room and he, he was at the sink and I was at the sink and he like acknowledges me and I acknowledge him and I said you know Bob I just have to tell you I'm a huge fan I grew up you know listening to you at the stadium and and his response the Giants had just given up like a 98 yard kickoff return and he goes at least there won't be any traffic going home <laughs> <laughs> He spoke like that. He spoke like that at all times, <laughs> not just uh, on the mic. <laughs> they want to break character. The legendary uh, John Miller, the Giants announcer, John Miller. He does a, a better uh, Bob Shepard. He says, I, "I wonder what it would be like going to breakfast with Bob Shepard." When he would go, "I'll have two eggs scrambled." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I saw you on social media, Seth. You were at like a uh, hashtag sports thing. What was going on there? What, yeah, what was that yeah, event yeah. about? Yeah, hashtag sports is a great company. They're, they're worth a follow on Twitter. Uh, they uh, they do a, a great three day conference on the merging of business, sports, and and technology. And uh, they hired me to uh, to moderate a couple of interesting panels. Uh, one of which was with the CEO of Barstool Sports, uh, Erica Nardini, which was a really fun thing. And I talked to Barstool Sports, and they're gonna we're gonna take the audio of that and make it a podcast. And I'm gonna do a Forbes piece on it. And uh, it was a really neat experience. I saw some really great people, and it's really about the future of not just the media, but sports and and, and where sports are going in the future. Interesting. So we touched on baseball. Where do you think baseball is going now in the future? You mentioned all your concerns. How are they going to rectify this, if, if at all? You know, I, I was at uh, the U.S. Open Golf uh, about two weeks ago, and it, there was a day that it rained in the morning. And I was sitting in the media tent uh, with a bunch of reporters, and I, I posed this question, and I'll pose this question to you. Okay. If you could inherit any sports commissioner job. Oh, right. <laughs> and you, could, you, you had to pick. But you had to inherit all of their current problems. What would you rather be, Roger Goodell or Rob Manfred? And I think hands down, I think hands down, you would want to be Roger Goodell. Because as much as there is a debate on how the NFL is handling the crises that faces it, at least you could argue that those things are fixable. Whereas in baseball, I don't know how you fix the problems that faces baseball. And I see it getting much worse before it gets better. My o- my only interesting concern about that is the concussion issue in football. I feel like a lot of people might not be playing football in the future because of those concerns, and you might be losing the talent base Agreed. somewhat. But I'm not sure. Agreed. But yeah. the, the difference is, from a commissioner's standpoint, you know, a lot of the social stuff with the, you know with the anthem and stuff, you would argue Goodell's problems are his own doing, and that if you address right. that head on. That could have been nipped in the bud very easily. Um, you can renegotiate a lot of the television. You know, one of the big things about the NFL is oversaturation. Oversaturation can change. That, that's something that's fixable. You can put more things in an online component. The difference with baseball is you don't know these players. And, you know, I, I would challenge you on a random day. Don't do it right after this segment because people will know. But on a random day... Play a generic Mike Trout soundbite and open up your phone lines and say, does anybody know who that guy is? <laughs> yeah, Mike Trout's not one for uh, marketing himself, I, I feel well, like. <laughs> and Manny- he is hands down the best player. And, you know, I, I gave the Angels the title. I think they're the chief second banana of all the second bananas. Right. Second bananas are the, the Angels, the Oakland A's, the Chicago White Sox, and the New York Mets. Yeah, teams that are overlooked in their own market, certainly. Um, so in baseball, should, should uh, they're talking about banning the shift. Should we ban the shift, make everyone play in certain spots like they used to? <laughs> oh, I would, I, you know, I, I've been a, a huge campaigner for that even before Rob Manfred took over. Uh-huh. Um, I think the shift uh, hurt base hits. Um, it, it didn't have its adverse effect. It, it, it had a, it's had a negative impact because hitters are not trying to go the opposite way but instead they're worried about this nonsense called launch angle and, and, and the way that they're, they're making contact. And I think it's a major reason why there's so many strikeouts. Um, I think that ultimately when we talk about banning the shift, I would have an imaginary line from the point of home plate to straightaway center field, 
And before the pitch is thrown, the first baseman, the second baseman, the right fielder can't cross it. The third baseman, the shortstop, the left fielder can't cross it. And, you know, I'll be honest, uh, the only people that can play on any side are the catcher, the pitcher, and the center fielder. There you go. I think you take two thirty-five hitters, make them two sixty hitters, and that's your missing base hit. Well, maybe yeah. there is a solution, then. We'll see if it actually happens down the road. We know you got to run, Seth, but thanks so much for joining us here. Oh, get that echo out of your ear. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Everett here, always entertaining on Sports Time 780 and live right here on SportsTimeMain.com. Hey, we got Stuart Flaherty in studio to talk some World Cup. We'll do that on the other side of this break coming up. I know he's excited about England and also all the other exciting action we've got going on. This is the B-List Daily. Aaron Morse filling in for Matty B on Sports Time 780, live online, SportsTimeMain.com. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com ortho. We believe in better. A better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave Units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if you
your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news and cancellations or visit their all new and very popular team pages mbr.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in maine coming in february all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24 7 it's high school sports heaven all aboard mbr.org Bring your talents to PepsiCo. If you have a Class A CDL and you are 21 or older, apply for a new career at PepsiCo in Auburn as a full-time relief driver with a competitive benefits package beginning on day one, including medical, dental, vision, legal, paid holidays, and vacations, and a 401k plan with company match. Our drivers are home every night and earn $20.50 to $22.40 per hour. Now offering a $1,500 sign-on bonus, PepsiCo is an equal opportunity employer. Apply online at pepsijobs.com. It's the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemain.com. Aaron Morris filling in for Matty B on this Thursday. Happy to have the head coach of the Bates men's soccer team for two more days. Uh, Stuart Flaherty in the studio with us to talk some World Cup. I know the United States is not in the World Cup this year, but you're from England, and England is 2-0 and right now. they got one more uh, match remaining, but... Um, and with Germany out, I mean, it's yeah. wide open, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's real strange right now. You got a lot of England fans uh, hoping we lose this game today, because <laughs> uh, if we finish second in the group, you end up with either Japan, Colombia, or Senegal, and then a quarterfinal against Sweden or Switzerland. Oh! If they win the group, that bracket could play out into a quarterfinal against Brazil. So mm. I refuse to do anything other than just hope they win the game. But sure. there is a there's divided opinion back home. Right, it's England versus Belgium today, two really good teams, right? And probably, will, I mean, they both, I mean, in that situation, I'm sure the players still, they're going to try to win, right? Or is it yeah, kind of dicey sometimes? I, I think it's fan talk, right? There, there, uh, there is yeah. no way a coach or a player who spent four years waiting for a World Cup right. is doing anything other than trying to win the game that they're playing in. I think in tournaments, emotion and momentum and confidence are powerful things. Um, more so than fatigue in tournaments that can last five, six games at maximum. So I, th- I, th- I think absolutely the team is out to win. What are some of your takeaways that you've seen so far during the group stages here? Uh, it's, it's been great. You know, it's been uh, massively entertaining. There is, there's a belief in soccer that you know, underdogs will sit in and be defensive, especially in opening games of tournaments when there's only three games. But there's been one scoreless tie. And in that scoreless tie, both teams, I believe, were already qualified for the second round. So there's been a lot of goals. The uh, the players that you would hope to perform have performed. I know there's been uh, some criticism of Messi. I think that's been 
a little bit over the top. I actually There's, thought he played well against Iceland and he scored a great goal in his last game. Always criticism of Messi, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, <laughs> Messi and Ronaldo are without question the two best players in the world, but we live in a world where you're forced to uh, pick between the two, right? And you're not just allowed to appreciate them both. I think Harry Kane's the best player in the world, but I'm biased. <laughs> he looks pretty good. <laughs> well, I'm curious, um, Germany finishing last, not only not making it, but finishing last in their group. I mean, I watched that match against South Korea. I, I mean, what was it? It was being aggressive. Don't ask me for any inside knowledge. I mean, any, yeah. anybody tells you they saw that coming, they, right. they are a liar. <laughs> I, the, the one thing I did think, I see, I watched the game. And the last 10 minutes, I think, yeah, there is this narrative that Germany are mentally infallible and they're just a machine and they're efficient and all this. But I, I did think we saw a bit of an implosion there in the last two minutes where they just conceded that goal and things spiraled and the first goal led to a second. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a massive, massive shock. I think most people either pick them to win or at least make the final four before the tournament and they finish fourth in their group. But that's why we love sports, right? Yeah, it's the first time they've not advanced past the group stage ever. They'd always advanced past the group stage, and this time they're not. Didn't even realize that. Well, so the United States not being in the World Cup, how harmful is this to the future of U.S. soccer, or do you think it's just a blip? I think it's massively painful to uh. fans emotionally. Um, harmful to the future, not necessarily. You know, Germany have just come off a golden period, and there's a really interesting book out called Das Reboot. And uh, <laughs> That's what good. what happened? Like what happened is Germany failed massively, um, including you know in a period where they lost a, f a qualifying game five one to England, and they were they were just low. And before the two thousand six World Cup, they put a blueprint together of how they were going to try and have a certain style of play in the youth academies and in the clubs, and they were going to try and focus their coaching philosophies. And you know, failure led to. 10, 15 years down the line, massive success. Same with the Spanish national team. Uh, they went out of all the way back in Euro 96 to England. They started a blueprint in the youth academies that ultimately led to Barcelona, La Masia, producing a group that wins them their first ever Euros and first ever World Cup two years apart. So, you know, things happen slowly, and it's boring to say now, but 15, 20 years down the line, it's very believable that they could be US success and this be used as the launching pad rather than some massive disaster where everything fought, fell apart. I don't, I don't think that's what's going to happen at all. Gotcha. Well, well, given that idea, what would you say is important for them, for the youth of this country to be working on? What should the coaches be focused on yeah, to get um, them to that? The youth's that's an interesting thing because if, uh, if you go on social media now, it's their fault, right? The youth academies in America, the pay-to-play system, everything's getting torn to shreds. Um, Last year, in terms of youth World Cups and youth tournaments, it was actually, I believe, I heard from Tony Miola on Sirius, it was their best year ever. So it's trendy to blame the youth, and it's tough to argue against and make counterpoints when you blame the youth because there's no evidence, really. But what the current men's national team is is a reflection of the work of the U.S. Youth Academy system five to ten years ago. And it's amazing to me that people don't see it like that. You know, your, your youth team today will be in two to three years a scattering of young players in a locker room and over five to ten years a youth team today will become the core of your men's locker room so you can't judge the current day u.s youth climate until five to ten years in the future and that's not the area we live in right you need to have a take on twitter you need to have an opinion for radio and you need to have made your mind up whether things are good or bad but from what i can see the u.s youth academy system i think is doing a pretty decent job right now and I think the results of that are so slow, it's not what 
people want to talk about. It's not interesting, you know what I mean? But I think five to ten years ago, it's fair to say that they failed. I, I think, you know, I'm a hockey guy, and yeah. I think that's what's happened in hockey. I, I think they started slow, down, down with the young kids. They put a philosophy together. Uh, the coaching manuals that every coach is required to participate in. If you want to coach, you got to go through the system of, of uh, the coaching preparation. And look at where we are now. We, there are more American players in in, uh, in professional hockey now, all, not just in America, all over the world, than there ever have been. I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, used to be 97% Canadian and yeah. hell with everybody else. And now it's, <laughs> you know, it's 30-something percent a European. It's... Uh, I think uh, I think it's twenty percent Americans. It's still fifty percent Canadian, yeah. but you would expect that zero percent English, right? Yes. They, well, there aren't many of those. That's <laughs> yeah. correct. That's correct. English never really been into hockey, I guess. But I think it's no. the same. No. But I think it's the same thing. Uh, I think start it with the foundation and and build it up from there. I, I think you're right. I think I know there's there's details specific to soccer, but the concept of uh, getting a large group of humans to adopt a similar vision. That in itself mm. is the ultimate challenge that I'm sure every sport at the youth level, because philosophy is important to be singular and not mixed. You know, what's the old saying? A, a horse drawn by a committee is a camel. Sure. And I, th I think the groups that can have <laughs> large groups of people thinking on the same page over a period of time are the ones that have success. That is a very difficult thing to do. So do you think in the youth program, uh, one of the guys that we know very well, a guy named Mike Cayley, who's an old-time coach, football coach like me, um, we said one of the things we've noticed, not in just our sport, but in all sports, is fundamentals have taken a back seat to ESPN. You know, can you be a highlight? Can you do yeah. that, whatever? So if you, you, if you could advise youth soccer programs on what they ought to do, not just for the kid that's going to be a professional, but for the good of all of those kids, what, what kind of things do you think that they should be focused on? I mean, yeah, you just got to... Uh You've got to commit to rep it's repetition, and you've got the fundamentals of the game, you know, the, the trapping of the ball, the passing of the ball, the decision-making of when to pass, when to dribble. Uh, this is purely my personal opinion, but the decision-making takes too much of a backseat. You know, every coaching license you go on teaches you how to tell kids to pass with the side of their foot, to pass with the outside of the foot, to drive a pass over a long distance, to take the first touch in which direction to take it in, and there is not enough on when to do that. And if you have the habit of over-dribbling and turning the ball over, you can be a brilliant technical soccer player, yet ultimately ineffective. Now, what I don't know in the learning cycle, um, maybe that's why I coach college and not youth, is what age do you start pushing the decision-making yep. against just the repetition of skill? Because obviously in the younger age groups, it's just rep it, rep it, rep it, rep it. And you get in, um, you get in a base of skills and muscle memory and ability to perform things. But at some point down the line there, they have to know when to use which skill. They have to be able to read a situation of time and space and what's around them and perform the appropriate skill. If I can just go back to the hockey analogy Absolutely. again. <laughs> my, my wife is a hockey coach, and yeah. uh, she and I coached the middle school team locally here together. And she used to... Um, Who picks the team? Uh, we do, yeah. We? We do, okay. the two of us. Yeah, no, no, she's the coach, I'm the assistant. <laughs> And uh, in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and But what she did, uh, she utilized uh, training videos. And she would say, all right, here's the situation. They, they're all gathered around. She'd start the clip, and it would show 
something happening on the ice, and then she stop and say, "What are you thinking?" Yeah, that's a great. And then she'd go around and say, "Why? Well, why would you be thinking that?" And the kid would say, "Got to use a saucer pass because there's somebody sticking the way." You know, that's just that's exactly what they got to be thinking about. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, there's some that's better than than the others. When you're gonna go down the alley? When you you know? When you're gonna go across the ice? It's that. Just yeah, like I you mean, said. Teach, teaching the habit to think that's that's a great thing, and it sounds sounds like a really good way to do it. I'm curious uh, watching the World Cup. I mean, a lot of Americans, they, I don't say they ignore soccer, but they don't pay, pay that close attention to it until the World Cup, typically. And maybe this year not paying attention at all because America's not in. But, they, you know, Premier League compared to maybe, like, international soccer, I'm, I'm always curious about, like, club teams versus, like, when the teams, when the guys all have to get together to play for their country. The quality of soccer, do you notice a big drop-off or about similar in terms of like you know the elite club teams in Europe versus the international stadium. Yeah, I think the elite club teams are more consistent yeah. without a shadow of a doubt and how could they not be when they train together right 8 to 9 months a year and these guys probably have a one week two week training camp and then jump into this tournament, right? Yeah. Um one thing I've always thought to myself is there's got to be some element is Gareth Southgate's the England manager. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't spend a lot of his time because he only every six to eight weeks gets his team for two to three days so there's a lot of watching the club teams and there's a lot of video study in that time or he's got the best job in the world and he's just living the dream for six weeks right? <laughs> i would like to think it's the first yeah so there's got to be some element of watching these players and watching the roles and the formations and the systems they play in with their clubs and doing your best to bring them into the england team in your system but ask the same things of them you know the same habits they have the same movements they have the same responsibilities defensively the same attacking movements they're showing you know ability with to put them all together on the same field obviously you can't do that for all 10 because it would become somewhat disorganized but there's got to be some element of looking at what he does at the club level and doing your best to ask him to do a same or a similar thing at the international level if not you're retraining a player's tactical habits over two weeks when they've been gone eight months and that that can't be what they're yeah. doing right i mean right. i don't know but that would be seem insane to me yeah it's definitely got an interesting experience coaching uh you know country's team and the, a lot of pressure obviously there but also like it's like an all-star group kind of just coming in and uh, trying to get chemistry together in such a short time yeah i mean with some teams it's an all-star group right but i mean to be honest with you manchester city They've they've probably got a better team than England, right? And because they, right. they have the ability to <laughs> find anyone, we need a right back, so they go grab Cal Walker and they pay fifty million. And yeah. They've got they've got a right back now. Uh, you, you're the coach of the England national team, and there's there's not an English right back, then you're in trouble, right? right. You got, but luckily, Cal Walker is English, so that's not <laughs> the best example. But let's you know, let's say Senegal, they've got Sadio Mane who plays for Liverpool, and he's he's one of the best players in the world. But I'm sure there are areas in that eleven where their guy is playing at a much lower level and there's nothing you can really do about it. So right. to an element, national team's more impressive, right? Because rather than recruiting, you're taking what you've got and you're doing the best you can with it. For sure. So if you had to pick right now, who's the, who do you think the favorite is right now? Uh, at Brazil still? Before the tournament, I said uh, I thought Brazil were going to win. Okay. Um, and on a massive high of English euphoria, I'm going to say England are going to win the final 6-0. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we've seen Brazil get crushed in the final before, right? Set semis, yeah, 7-1. Oh, semi, okay, 7-1. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that any team has put their footprint down in terms of mm -hmm. we're the best team at this tournament. Look how well we're playing. 
Um, there's an argument England and Belgium have looked the best, but there's yeah. also the argument that their two opponents they've played have been on the weaker end. But yeah. all, all the all the giants, Germany, obviously, Spain, Portugal, France, they're all showing flaws. You know, they're not playing badly, but they're showing how and why they could be beat. Well, in Spain, what, they fired their coach like two days before the World Cup or something? I think something? it was one day before. One yeah. day before? Yeah. Why would you do that? What was the deal Why there? not, man? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 why? why was, would... <laughs> the reason for it was uh, I listened to a podcast uh -huh. on it because I'm like, that just, how has this happened? So he took the Real Madrid job and he'd been at a different job and that, that, that in itself is not the issue. But apparently the Spanish Football Association had a massive issue in how he went about it and what that means is he had signs up all around the spanish hotel him and his psychologist unity focus we're in this together you know put put everything in your life aside and let's focus on this tournament and meanwhile he's in his hotel room on facetime to real madrid thrashing out contracts so i think they thought he was a bit of a hypocrite yeah and they fired him for that reason uh That's the crazy. guy they put in the role has taken over the team before has been an assistant has played for them so it's probably not as big a drama on their end because Fernando Hierro is somewhat of a legend in Spain and a very familiar face. Okay. So it's prob it probably looks much more chaotic from the outside than it does from the inside. Good, because I picked Spain to win, and when I yeah. found that out, I was like, oh, my there's, God. There's no reason <laughs> to think that they can't. You know, right. They drew their first game 3-3 with Portugal. And uh -huh. I think they won the second game. I'm going off the top of my head now. So, I mean, they, they should be pretty good. They've got one win and two draws, as does Portugal. Uh, looks All like right. they'll both be... Moving on, though. There, yeah. you, there you go. Iran came up uh, just a little short there with one loss mixed in. Oh, that, that Iran-Portugal game. Did you see that one? No, I didn't get I, a chance. Iran, in the last minute of the game, had a chance to win and put Portugal out <laughs> and uh, hit the side netting with it. Okay. So that, yeah, that, that could have been something. That would have been something. Yeah, because Iran was one of the heavy, heavy underdogs. Yeah, in, definitely. So there were certainly some teams that were not expected to do anything, and I think... I don't know, biggest surprise on the positive side, Mexico looked really good until they got destroyed by Sweden. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, they did. They got their doors blown off. I mean, <laughs> maybe they've spent three, four weeks of training at a certain intensity because they yeah. played 2-1-2 two, two, and they knew they were through, and then they ran into a hungry-driven Sweden and just ran into a buzzsaw. Um, but, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. And then Russia's moving on, it looks like, at uh, two, oh, and, uh, two wins and one loss in their group stage. Obviously, they're the host country. Yeah. How, does that help you? Does that put more pressure on you? It, you it has to help you, right? Yeah, I mean, to, yeah. yeah, there is um, there is massive crowds. There's Putin in the crowd. There's kind of an <laughs> Ivan Draga, Rocky Four vibe about it all, <laughs> if you ask me. It really but, uh, is. They were actually underdogs coming in because I think they'd like not won like, their last seven games before coming into the tournament, mm. and then they won their first game 5 0. I think player for player, Russia aren't a team that you would expect to go on, but. You know, I, I, th I think the emotion and the euphoria of being a home nation is certainly an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Yeah, so the group stage is not over quite yet. There's still some more matches. As you mentioned, England's playing uh, today at, at 2 o'clock against Belgium. And yeah. the winner actually will have a harder route to the final, which I find interesting. Yeah. But that's the way it goes yeah, sometimes, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, and then Panama, well, they're out. But they're playing uh, <laughs> Tunisia today yeah. at 2. England and, and Belgium are both, both through. Right. Uh, the interesting games are the ones going on right now. The group with ja Japan, yeah. Colombia, Senegal. That's no those score. games are going on right now. No score in either in either of those games at halftime right now. So, so that that would be Colombia out, I think, which would be somewhat of a surprise. Oh, if that held, yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's only been one scoreless match though, so probably won't hold. But we'll yeah. see. <laughs> you know, soccer's such a high-scoring sport, Aaron. There's yeah. no chance that finishes zero zero. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why a 2-0 win by, by South Korea was so amazing over over Germany. Just, I mean, they, obviously uh, they had that empty netter, right? So, yeah. <laughs> that helped. But uh, did you see the – there was a great video. There was I, – I guess the Mexican fans found a South Korean fan outside the stadium, and they were, like, putting him up on his shoulder. Yeah, that was stuff. amazing. <laughs> you, see, you see some great things at World Cups, man. I did, yeah. I did see that. That was funny. <laughs> So real quickly, I mentioned at the beginning year that Bates head coach for a couple more days, but you're going to be going to Dartmouth. Uh, I, am. I think they announced that here recently um, to be an assistant there. Uh, Ivy League champs the last few years, so that that'll be an interesting experience, right? Going to the Ivy League—that's uh, a place you haven't gone I'm, yet. I'm excited about it, man. You know, I, I'm excited about it. I've coached the Portland Phoenix PDL teams in the summer the last eight years, and we have had Dartmouth players on the team, and we've mm -hmm. had Ivy League players on the team. We had Andrew Wheeler from Harvard, who's in the MLS with Atlanta United now. Had Wyatt Olmsberg from Maine, who I uh, also coached his youth team, and he's in the MLS with Minnesota United right now. We had Matt Danilak from Dartmouth, who uh, got drafted by the uh, Philadelphia Union. I think he got loaned out. So, yeah, the, 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 those players have been in and around, and I, th I think where I could maybe help the staff is the NESCAC and the Ivy League have some similarities in terms of the student-athletes they're recruiting, in terms of the elite prep school scene, and in terms of admissions and recruiting where I'll you know, as a head coach at Bates, I've gained a lot of experience. Right, right, certainly. So, and obviously, assistants at the D1 level, there's a lot of recruiting responsibility on them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, and I like it, man. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of traveling, uh, but you know, I, I think uh, the NESCAC and Bates have done a probably a bit more traveling and recruiting than people realize. You know, we've been to Disney in Florida, we've been to the Dallas Cup, we've been to Players Showcase in Las Vegas, Surf Cup in San Diego, so. The scene I'll be going on, there'll certainly be more events and there'll certainly be a bigger budget to attend a greater volume, but it's not going to be a massively different path to the one I've been walking. Terrific. Now, do you know the responsibilities for how many assistants are there? There's two. There's Me two. and Chad Dornberger, who was a uh, Penn State for I know, years. for instance, when uh, one of the things that's happened at Maine hockey, I'm just talking about hockey again, was when Sean Walsh was the coach, they were so successful, but they had a recruiter. Grant Stanbrek was unbelievable. I mean, he got kids from all over Canada, British Columbia especially. But And when he retired, Maine hasn't been the same. Yeah. And so is that responsibility of finding those nuggets put with the assistants or the head coach? Um, I think on the Dartmouth staff, I can't speak for every staff, but on the Dartmouth staff, there is a there is a hefty recruiting network. You know, our head coach, Bo, he played in the MLS. He played 200 pro games. He has connections at every MLS club so he's he's got a network of people that he knows very well he's also involved in US soccer youth and helps pick the national teams so he's embedded deeply on the scene Chad is the recruiting coordinator so my belief is Chad's going to be in charge of the calendar but when we go to events there'll be two or three of us going and the events are simply too big to uh, do alone you know what I mean you'll go to an event there'll be 15 20 sure. fields going even in the U17 U18 age groups that we're recruiting there can be as little as four and as many as ten games going on all at the same time. So how a day would usually go is me, Bo and Chad would be all at games, speak at the end of the day, and then if there is a player that one of us like particularly, you'll probably go get a second set of eyes on the same kid the following day. I mean, I've got a lot of connections in England in terms of the recruiting, so I think I add that to the Dartmouth staff. I've got a lot of individual relationships I've built up with academy and club coaches because we've recruited their kids to Bates. So recruiting is a people industry you know if you've dealt with someone before and it's been mutually successful and there's a relationship there then when uh, another kid comes up through the same pipeline different kid 
same connection, same path, then that helps you. Is it easy to do it that way or have a connection with certain prep schools? Did you go to see a kid play at prep school? I, I'm guessing I'm trying to think of what the your prep time school, is best spent. The prep school kids play a club. Um, anyway, okay. A lot of the better prep school soccer kids um, are international. And those international players can be filtered into America through some academic agencies like Right to Dream who will bring kids off with the intent of getting them a good soccer career and a good academic career. And it can be as beneficial to know the people in that network sure. as the school. I mean, it's for simply the more people you know, the better, right? And on the Dartmouth staff, between the three of us, we know a lot of people. Sure. And you, you can do it, cold call. You know, we, we recruit Nate Merchant of Bates, who's just graduated an academic All-American from Santa Monica United, I'd never dealt with them before. So it can happen cold, sure. but it just helps to have some familiarity yeah. and some prior relationship sure. like everything in life, right? Interesting stuff, certainly. Uh, well, we got a few more minutes here before we got to go to break. Um, any other observations you want to share about this World Cup that you haven't talked about yet? I mean, obviously you're excited about England. Um, Beyond excited. Yeah. <laughs> They're always like letting you down, though, right? I mean, they, it seems like they've let down their fans for many years. I, I find the, the <laughs> outlook towards England fans very strange. Okay. You know, like <laughs> England get very, very excited during tournaments. And honestly, some, some people, to get that excited, it's the only thing left to same level of excitement and magic you had when you were a kid right that all of a sudden this tournament that's only every four years comes around your teams do well you get into it now do england lose and people get disappointed yes but the narrative that we shouldn't get as excited shouldn't think we're going to win to avoid being disappointed <laughs> that's an awful way to live your life and i'm not buying it so do not bring me down aaron i'm not bringing you down <laughs> do not at me the kids say now yeah right come on he's in a good in a good place. I'm not going to bring it down. I mean, right. the world Don't you know the beauty of it when we do lose? Don't want to talk about it. Right. Don't so you're to. saying this weekend you're going to watch nothing but World Cup. How many games this did you This weekend see? I'll actually be working a camp at UConn. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But I'll probably get the Sunday afternoon games. Um, I don't think I'm going to miss an England game at the weekend. I don't think the second round is that early. But if, if I was going to miss England, I would DVR it, put me the phone on airplane mode. Yeah. And it avoid the world until I'd watched it. There we go. Makes sense. Well, Stuart Flaherty, thanks so much for joining us here on the B-List Daily. Always glad to have you in studio, and we'll be uh, following the English team's hopes uh, quite closely because I think without America in it, we got to root for somebody, right? Exactly. And why not England? <laughs> why not England? And good luck to you and yeah. your new job. <laughs> thank that's, you. That's Appreciate gonna it. That's going to be great. Thank you on air to, to Bates College. You know, it's been, it's been a great eight years. Um, I'm excited about Dartmouth, but it, it wouldn't be happening without the people at Bates and what they've uh, helped me learn and achieve during my time there. Has Bates named a new coach yet? No, no, no. The search is going to be going on, I'm sure. So Hope the cats. Got to. Yeah, there you go. Got to before the fall. But uh, Stuart Flurry, thanks again so much. We'll have Gus LeBlanc on the other side, new defensive coordinator over at Lewiston High School, talking some high school football. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and SportsTimeMaine.com. You're listening to the B-List Daily on Sports Time Maine, AM 780, WTME, Rumford, Mexico, Dixfield. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one 
to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com ortho. We believe in better, a better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave Moisture Control Units continuously dry out your home, transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave units cost only pennies a day to operate, and there are no buckets too empty. Call Wave today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations. Or visit their all-new and very popular team pages. MBR.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in Maine. Coming in February, all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24-7. It's high school sports heaven. All aboard MBR.org! 
Bring your talents to PepsiCo. If you have a Class A CDL and you are 21 or older, apply for a new career at PepsiCo in Auburn as a full-time relief driver with a competitive benefits package beginning on day one, including medical, dental, vision, legal, paid holidays, and vacations, and a 401k plan with company match. Our drivers are home every night and earn $20.50 to $22.40 per hour. Now offering a $1,500 sign-on bonus, PepsiCo is an equal opportunity employer. Apply online at pepsijobs.com. It's the V-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online at sportstimemain.com. Aaron Morris filling in for Matty B on this Thursday. We've already had Seth Everett on the phone talking some Major League Baseball. We've had Stuart Flaherty in here talking some World Cup. And now we welcome in studio Gus LeBlanc, uh, the new defensive coordinator at Lewiston High School coming up this uh, fall. But Gus, um, you obviously are very familiar with Lewiston High School, right? Tell us a little bit about your background with them. Uh, yeah, thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's uh, well. I've had a, I worked for 15 years in the Lewiston schools. Yeah, um, eight as the principal at Montello, and another seven as the principal at uh, Lewiston High School. So, um, got a, a long time experience there. I know a lot of the people, and uh, when I left there, left with some really good feelings and some uh, affection for the school and the community. And so, it's uh, it's kind of like a homecoming for me of sorts. Excellent. Well, a defensive coordinator, I know you've been a head coach before. Have you ever done that as an assistant type deal? Uh, yeah, actually, I've done, uh, of course, as the head coach, uh, depending on your <laughs> style as a head coach. Uh, right. And sometimes I was the offensive and defensive coordinator both. Uh, but I did, uh, actually, one year when I was at Oak Hill High School, we had a young coach come from Bates, and uh, I was his defensive coordinator and, uh, you know, operated it. So I've, I've had some experience uh, as a defensive coordinator, and most of it as a head coach, but some as just the coordinator alone. Gus, how long as a head coach at Dexter? How long were you? I was the head coach at Dexter for eight years. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, and I've done actually um, coached the uh, rec program here in uh, Edward Little uh, for uh, excuse me in Auburn for uh, uh, three or four years, and then also helped Jimmy Hersom. Uh, at Edward Little High School uh, for about five years. So I've got some experience in the local community. Here's a good story about the youth football. I went to see Nick play, his son. Yeah. And uh, so Gus on the sideline, I see him pointing at something. I see him tearing something off and handing it to his quarterback. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what that's all about. So I asked him out. I said, Gus, uh, how, do you, how do you guys call a play? He said, I write him on a little thing of paper and, I, he said, I give it to the quarterback. And he just goes to the huddle and looks at it and calls it out. And I go, what does he do with the paper? He says, puts him down his pants. <laughs> that's absolutely. Hey, that's that, a, that, <laughs> it was absolutely the that's truth. That's pretty creative, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were running a pretty complex uh, <laughs> passing game for uh, young kids. And in order for him to communicate it correctly, that seemed to be the best way to do it. <laughs> you know, seriously, simplicity. You know, I, And I've tried them all. I've tried running the guy over to the sideline yeah. so that you could tell him to play, run it back in. I've done it sending in a position play. I did it with tight ends at one time. Send a tight end in, the other one comes off. You give him the play, another one goes in. I've done signals where they got a wristband and they look at it and you signal the formation, east, west, whatever it is, 
And uh, I don't know which ones work the best. I know you can you can run your quarterback's legs out drive, running into the sideline, and you spend a lot of time doing that. And unless he's used to knowing the place three quarters over, I got to start heading for the sideline. Which yeah. one do you like? Uh, well, you know, I got to the point where I didn't like bringing the quarterback over unless it was a, a timeout. I wanted him to be in charge of the huddle. I wanted him to be the guy on, on the field that was uh, – really uh, directing the players, and I thought also he needed the time in between plays to uh, collect his uh, his emotions and everything else. And so kind of stayed away from that. Uh, ended up primarily with uh, hand signals. Uh, that's basically the way uh, we've uh, got to it. And But also a mixture of hand signals, and we got to the point where we would have like 10 plays on a wristband. And so, you know, it was kind of like your, uh, your uh, shortcut to the desktop type thing. You know, you just, you just give him the thumbs up that you're going to go to the wristband and you give him the two and boom, he just goes yep. to number there two. Uh, but uh, also did a lot of hand signals, you know, uh, different parts of the body. Almost like calling, uh, being a base coach in baseball and uh, calling the steal or the bunt or the hit and run or, or whatever. So I... Yeah, we've kind of settled to that, I think, uh, leaving the quarterback on the field and uh, either going with uh, a wristband hand signal or just regular hand signals for another play. One time when I uh, I was just starting out as a coach, and I was Bob Kelly's assistant baseball coach at Bangor High School. The man was the baseball coach there for almost 40 years and a classic, uh, Mr. Baseball guy. Mr. Baseball. So the very first year, uh, he's got... Uh, kids on the bases coaching the bases okay that's fine that's just what he believed and uh anyway so i watch him and he's not giving any signals I, i'm not seeing any wiping the hat nothing and i'm thinking how in heck is he getting the signals to those guys this is the fir- during the first game so finally i went over and i said cal how the hell are you signaling those guys the bench all started laughing. They go, Coach, he, he said not to say anything to you. So you'd have to learn the hard way. He says, the guy on the end of the bench, the only guy on the bench that's got a bat sitting there between his legs, he's giving the signals. And I said, what? He goes, yeah, I lean over and go, bunt. And he picks up the bat and shows bunt with his bat. And he says, it's pretty clear. You can see it. Nobody else has any idea. What, what, the guy on the bend of the bench is fooling around with his bat. Big deal. And I went, come on. And he went, no, that's it. And then he had another signal where if he calls a kid by his first name, it was such and such, he'd call him by his second name, his last name. And it's like, this is so simple. And the third base coach is going crazy. He's giving every, he's wiping everything. Nothing. And never anything to do with it. So, yeah, living with, with Bob Kelly. <laughs> Great experience. So you two obviously go way back. You both played at University of Maine, but not together, right? Nope. Well, D- Dave Dave was a true uh, player at the University of Maine. He played four years, and he was the quarterback and uh, actually was a starter and everything else. I played a couple of years and, 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 and didn't go beyond that. So I did play at the university, but not to the level that Dave did. I think that we crossed pa- – thank you. I think we crossed paths. I think – I think I had just finished. Actually, the spring that I went over to uh, the University of Maine, 
uh, to, well, I don't know if it's recruitment, but it's a, a play, a visit, or whatever. Yeah. We, they were having spring football, and I remember Dave being in the front of the uh, uh, meeting and Coach Abbott running that meeting and, um, and Dave asking questions or Coach uh, Abbott saying something and David responding. So he, I think his last year uh, was uh, my first year. Okay. Oh, okay. So when did you first cross paths in the coaching world? I think we played in JVs, maybe. Actually, you were at Brewer, weren't you? Because uh, I, I remember you running a 4-4 defense uh, <laughs> with a rotating secondary, bringing the corner up. And uh, But you might have been the Brewer varsity coach then. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, that's all. I was only the varsity coach at Brewer. I never was anything else. So, uh, okay. Yeah, or maybe I, I was thinking it was Skowhegan because you came down uh, to watch our JVs play, and we stood up in the back of the bleachers, the two of us, and talked about our teams, and you asked some questions to me. I asked some of you. We went back and forth. So it would have been 77, 78? Yeah. That's that, about that's, right? That would have been when I was at Old Town. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 No, then you came later because I knew you were at Dexter. Yeah, then. okay. So it would have been 1980 probably, okay. 81, 82. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah, I remember going down there. You guys had it going at Skowhegan at that time. Uh, was I would say we played program. JVs because at one time our, our squad was so big, we had two JV teams. We had a, a regular JV team that played the league schedule, and they had what we called, that was the black team. The white team was young kids, sophomores mostly, or brand new to football, and they played smaller schools, right. and it was perfect for both schools. It, it was pretty much an even game for both schools. and God, that kept our program really strong because our kids, everybody played on Monday. That was fantastic. And, you know, uh, I remember being at Dexter, and, of course, the year before I arrived there, they ended the season with 19 players. But after a couple of years, we got into the 50s. And yeah. one of the things that uh, I believed when I was there as a head coach was that every kid had to have an opportunity to play every week. So even as a small school, we had expanded into a JV program and a freshman program uh, because if we really felt – I felt strongly if – you really wanted to cultivate kids for the future if you wanted to develop your program and you wanted to keep kids interested in football, uh, they had to have a chance. To, I mean, it's the old thing. We don't say, hey, you want to come practice football. We say, hey, you want to come play football. Yeah. So you want to give the, you know, you need to give kids a chance to play. That's that's really, really important. So, yeah, I and mean, that model you guys were using the Skowhegan, and I think it was right because I was over there for a JV football game when we were playing, and uh, and I think we probably were playing your white team. I think one of the most uncomfortable things I ever experienced in football, I was at Bangor as an assistant, and it was Jerry Hodge, Ronnie Gagan, and Norris Nickerson. How about that for a <laughs> yeah. chance for me to get started? Three icons. And uh, the very first part of that season, we, we went by uh, Bangor and Rustic bus, seated 44 kids. That's it for our away games. And I kept thinking, we got 75 kids, maybe 80 on the varsity sophomore and above what what are the rest of the guys doing they're staying home and i'm thinking that that can't be and you know we're riding these beautiful buses leaning the seat back stopping in lewiston to eat i mean it was first class but i kept thinking i can't so i went to jerry and i said jerry i can't i'm really uncomfortable with this he said why he said those guys practice every day we beat the stuffing out of them and then they set home for the night of the game or they got to go with their parents to see it i so he said, "What do you want to do?" I said, "I, I don't know. It's just I'm just a young kid, but I, I'm, I'm a baby. 
trust me, 22 years old. It was it was 1930. Yeah, right. I said, I said, Jerry, I think we should take two school buses. Bring everybody. By Gary, God love him. We went to two school buses and brought everybody. Well, let me tell you a parallel story to that. When I when I was in high school at Old Town High School, we went down to play Brewer, and Ken Perone was the coach there then. And we did the same thing. We only were allowed to bring 35 players on the travel team. So we went down there, all 35 of us. And uh, people in this area may not know that, but at that time when Ken Perone was at Brewer, they had 120 kids on the football team. Varsity, so, not freshmen. Yeah. So we'd go out there getting ready to loosen up, do our cows, and Burrow would come out, and they would have players all around the field. And they would circle and clap their hands the whole time. And it was a pretty intimidating thing to have 35 kids going on a road trip under the lights in Burrow, Maine, and be surrounded by 120 kids chanting and hooting and that. And so, yeah, I think, if, uh, I, you know, giving those kids a chance to play, bringing them on the road when you can is, is, is probably real, real important. So you've been the headmaster up at Lee Academy for the past, what, how many years? Five now? years. Five years, okay. And now you're retired from that and uh, uh, doing the assistant uh, job here at Lewis. And so this is your first coaching gig since when? I mean, how excited are you to get back into it now? Well, of course, uh, I the last year I was, when I was the principal at Lewiston High School, yeah. I was uh, helping uh, Jimmy Hurson at, at, uh, at EL. And uh, so I would say this is the first time I've actively coached in the last six or seven years interesting so even when i was here prior to leaving i was i've had my fingers in coaching probably my whole life what 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 do you think gus in that time because i was off longer than that yeah. from the time i left skowhegan to the time i came to oak hill after i retired i was out of it 22 years uh, yeah. uh the game had changed quite a bit since then what what do you see different when you watch a lewiston game now or any or anybody right now well, I, you know, I think, the, I think the biggest difference I see, especially from the defensive perspective, is back when I was primarily a coach, it was, you know, three yards and a cloud of dust. You know, let's get line up in the I formation, have a fullback that's going to knock the snot out of you and run the ball <laughs> right down your throat. Good stuff. And, and nowadays, it's, uh, it's all spread offense, yeah. you know, uh, throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, spreading the defense out as much as you can and then running the ball inside once you get them spread out. I mean, teams now are trying to get five guys in the five defenders in the box if they can. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the biggest changes that I see is the, the, the concept of the game uh, and the spreading out of and using the whole field uh, is something that is uh, considerably different. Uh, it was coming. Uh, even back in the 1980s when I was uh, at uh, Dexter trying to turn that program around, we ran double slot. You know, we ran run and shoot uh, and uh, some of the Miles Davis stuff. Um, but uh, that was the preliminary to what you see nowadays. I mean, uh, I think the pressure that the spread offense uh, puts on defenses is you, you really got to have great open field tackling you got to have you have to go to a gap control defense you've got to account for every gap and uh, you know you really really need to account for all the passing zones in some way and um, so and great team pursuit uh, if you if you if you don't cover the gaps have great team uh, team pursuit uh, and tackle in the open field you're going to get burnt by the uh, by the spread offense so some of that's basics. Yeah. I mean, tackling is basics. Open field tackling is basics. 
gap, you know, controlling gaps. Uh, that's basics. Uh, but it's it. There's a whole new dimension, Dave, to the game that probably when I was primarily a head coach, uh, we didn't see too much. Well, it's option and assignment football on defense, which yeah. when it's wide open like that creates. If you make a mistake, it's a touchdown. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've tried to decide because we did play a lot of four-four, very successfully, as you know. Uh, I was trying to draw up how what would I do against the spread for that. I mean, it's a not many teams still play a five against that because you you've committed two people right in too many people inside. Although, I John Wolfgram certainly that's what he played forever uh, against those kind of offenses. I would say by the way, the wing T's been. Still hanging in there. Wells yeah. has been running it. Of course, yeah. Wolfie ran it at Chevrolet for right till the end. Wells is a fine-tuned machine. At yeah, they, that, they, the you know, <laughs> when they come to the passing uh, scrimmages and whatever, seven-on-seven, seven, they run wing T. <laughs> yeah. They run waggle pass. And, I mean, they don't do anything different. He said, no. Because I asked him, I said, why don't you just drop back like the rest of us or do shotgun? He goes, no, we're going to do what we do. Well, you know, the thing about the wing T is it's what I call a commitment offense. And if you're going to run the wing T, you need to be committed to it, and you need to say, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do it well, and we dare you to stop us. And uh, But getting back to your question about defense, Dave, um, you know, the, thing, the other thing the spread does is it forces you to be in a balanced defense. Oh, boy. Yep. You know, uh, and to some extent. And even when they go trips or bunch alignments, you got to have – some kind of balance to your defense. So it almost forces teams to uh, rotate up and go to a two deep. Uh, you can play it well. A lot of teams play a 4-3 against it. And a 4-3 is in some ways a 4-4. So, I mean, I think the big thing is you got to make some serious adjustments if you're going to stay in a 4-4. Especially if they run jet sweep. Now, oh, yeah. now you've changed the balance of the of the formation, and that's football talk. But uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, uh, I mean, it, it creates a cat and mouse game. You, you really, I mean, it's always been that anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I used to put up, these are the five plays they run, and these are the formations, and these are the things we've got to stop and try to teach everybody that. There's not a lot of that. I mean, it's just, they run a lot of the same formation, but they run the read. They can give it. They can keep it with a quarterback. The quarterback can run uh, opposite with a trap. I mean, there's a ton of things they can do. Station Doucette won three state championships at Oak Hill, running that. He called him a super back. He took his big, big. Uh, well, first for me, he was a guard tackle. They moved him to tight end. Then they moved him to super back. He was like a tackle playing in the backfield, and they would snap it, hand it to the tailback, and he would trap going opposite or run straight behind him. You had no idea. You had to plan for both. It was. It was tough. I mean, they, so, they were a tough team to stop. I'm curious, the defensive coordinator, are you thinking about going to be on the field or up top, or how do you think that, that'll work there? Well, I don't know. I You know, uh, uh, coach Bruce Nicholas is yeah. the head coach at Lewiston, and, uh, you know, we've talked about me being the defensive coordinator, but I don't think we've ironed out sure. uh, all those things. I mean, I think there's advantages to both, uh, but when it comes to making adjustments and that type of stuff, I think my preference would be be on the sideline mm. uh, because you can – you can personally talk to your players when they come off the, the, the field and that type of stuff. But I think that's going to be a, a call that Coach Nicholas is going to have to make. It's something that uh, he and I will have to talk about. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think it's, I, you know, at, at professional levels and college levels, the coordinator's up in the booth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, but you also got uh, 
seven defensive assistants on right. the sideline. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of a different uh, a game. So I don't know. I don't know that we've worked at those details out. We're still sure. putting together a new staff. Mm -hmm. uh, so there'll there'll be some changes. I think it's a great question because uh, it's the worst seat in the house. If you're on the sideline, you can't see anywhere near like you can when you're up top and you're looking at how the, how the motion's affecting things, whether your kids are moving like they should, and so on. Uh, but communication-wise, when you're on the sideline, you can, you can put your arm around a kid and make sure it's eyeball to eyeball so he knows, you know, this is what we really need to do. Um, what are you thinking about, um, I mean, I'm not going to ask what you're going to play. We don't want anybody scouting us. In, uh, <laughs> well, in are Morella. you watching film from last year yeah, already? That, or well, that, that was my I next question. I certainly am. Yeah, That's I, the first thing I said to Coach <laughs> Nicholas. I need the. I said I need all the film from our first two opponents yeah. uh, in the fall. And I said so. to Aaron, I said, "Now you guys may be disappointed up at camp." He goes, "Why is that?" Because Gus may be spending some time watching movies. <laughs> I, I've already been doing. I've already. Uh, well, I've already been doing that. Uh, looking at film from the f our first two opponents uh, on the schedule in the fall. Nice. You know, um, do you think? I mean, you haven't had a chance to see your kids yet, which is a little bit of a disadvantage, other than if whatever you see on film, you can look and see, oh, wow, that kid can really run, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, will you, do you have a certain defense that you, you'd like to play, or do you think that you would adjust according to, my, my example is, uh, the one of the reasons we played a four when I was in Scalagan, I learned a five like everybody else that went to Maine. Played 52 <laughs> with all the adjustments. That's what you do. Haley's still doing it. Uh, I didn't have... I didn't think I had a nose man, and I wasn't sure. I had a young t coaching staff. Whether or not I had the people to teach that to nose men, but I had, I had about 15 guys on the team that were 5'10", 185, that could run like hell. And I said, wow, those guys can all be linebackers. And we spread them out, and uh, we beat everybody to the ball because we were, we were faster. We were quicker and so on. So that's how we ended up with that. Now, we still had the 50 in and used it a lot of games. But so, do you think you have a defense in mind, or do you think that there's a way that you can adjust according to what you have for personnel? Well, I guess uh, I guess I'm not going to really say what we what we're planning sure. to do for a defense. No. But uh, of course, uh, as soon as you walk on the field, everybody knows that. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, you know when I look at the personnel we have coming back uh, at Lewiston. Uh, We've got some kids that were just outstanding football players last year. I mean, they had a lot of success last year uh, at Lewiston. And uh, one of the things they've got is they've got a great combination of, uh, we've got a couple of linebackers that are a good size and have a real nose for the football. We have a couple of really outstanding defensive backs uh, that uh, have uh, really distinguished themselves last year by being ball hawks and picking up a lot of interceptions. Uh, team speed. Uh, is pretty good for us. So we've got that combination, uh, at least as I see it on paper and, and uh, the kids that I've met and talked to. And uh, we got a good combination of some decent speed, uh, some, excuse me, some decent size, but really good team speed. And so um, I, you know, I suspect um, we'll probably be in some kind of a four man front because of the kind of offenses that we're going to face. Uh, we need that flexibility to adjust. Uh, philosophically, I, I, uh, Coach Nicholas and I are right on the same page. We like to keep it simple uh, for our kids, but complex for our opponents. 
I think the way you do that is you have a lot of blitzes and stunts in, adjustments um, uh, in that uh, are very simple calls for the kids, but present, uh, a, present a, a complex picture for the offensive team. Uh, being a, uh, a former offensive lineman, I like to present the offense. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a 5-2 guy. I'm not going to line my people up and uh, play the hit game with them and try to read the helmets and overpower them. Uh, we're going to play shades. Uh, we're going to be in the gaps. We're going to be moving. Uh, and we're going to try to uh, make it uh, as, as complex for the offense as possible. Uh, we'll most certainly play a gap control defense. I mean, uh, I think uh, most of what you're seeing nowadays uh, dictates that. And at the same time, I think it, if getting to a gap control defense uh, and not asking our kids to take on and try to overpower a blocker, I think uh, is an advantage for our kids. So I think philosophically, Coach Nicholas and I have talked about that. We've met as a staff and talked about it. And I think as, as a staff, uh, we're pretty uh, confident that that's the way we want to go. Now, is this, did you say the staff is complete or are they still looking? Uh, the, I think we have one more position to fill. Uh, we're, uh, we have, uh, of course, uh, Coach Nicholas is the head coach and myself. Uh, Matt Verling uh, is uh, going to be our, our, uh, one of our coaches. I think Matt's going to coach our linebackers. Uh, and then we have Kevin Collins who was on the staff oh, last yeah. year. Dick's son. Dick's son, yeah. yeah. And he'll be working with us uh, as well. And uh, we have a couple of young fellas that uh, play football at uh, Lewiston that are helping us out. And I think there is, is one more coaching position that they're hoping to fill that hasn't been filled. And Gus, who are the freshman coaches now? Uh, Dickie Collins is still, he's still, a, he's still the head okay. freshman coach. Yeah. Um, he God. was the head coach at one time, okay. Dick Collins. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure who his assistant is. I should know that, but I don't because I'm so new. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But Dickie is, is still the yeah. freshman good, coach. Good. Yeah. Well, how about the facilities they're building over yeah. there? Have I mean, Mike, that's got to be that's got to be huge, right? Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's uh, you know I've been over there and saw the facilities and uh, talked to Jason <laughs> Fuller about them, and uh, I'm really impressed. As it, you know, not just the football facilities. Uh, th there's been a lot of thought that's gone into this, and. Uh, uh, anybody who knows Jason Fuller knows that when he dives into something, he dives into it 120 percent, 150 percent, and uh, I think his life has been consumed this year. But they've got a beautiful uh, uh, football field that's uh, coming; will be ready this fall. Uh, of course, it's a turf surface; uh, it's well lighted, it's great bleachers and uh, a great press box and everything. That's the important part, right? The press box. Hey, hey we've I already want. we already hey. asked Jason. <laughs> It's going to be hot wired. It's got, yeah. it's got everything. It's got everything yeah. we need. And we'll make we'll see if we can get a popcorn machine in yeah, there. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, but just beside it, they've got a multi-purpose field, and they, you know, uh, which is also going to be a turf surface. So there's going to be two turf surfaces there, and on the second field, kind of give you an idea of the thought. Uh, it's going to be able to be used for baseball and softball both because they're going to have a removable mound. Uh, that's going to go in there. So when they want to play baseball, they put the mound in. They've got a turf baseball field. They take it out, and mm. uh, they can then use it as a turf softball field. Uh, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be about a, f a few feet short of, of a regulation soccer field. But, of course, 
they're going to play soccer on the on the football field uh, as well. That's going to be a soccer football field mm -hmm. uh, combination, uh, but it's going to be a, a great facility. It allows them they're going to play field hockey there, soccer, football, uh, and it's you know going to be lighted and uh, just great. Uh, and it's right behind the school, right behind yeah. the locker rooms. You walk out of the locker rooms, you get down over the hill, and boom, you're there. Uh, it's. I'm really, really impressed with uh, what they've done and the facility that they're going to have. He, he came on uh, one time with us early on in the project and laid out, you know, talked to us through how everything was going to lay out. And Maddie and I were going like, "Wow, this is going to be incredible for the community." And and we've also said that I think that you know with the if they've been playing the game, the Friday night football game in Orono. I wouldn't be surprised that it might might come to a place like Lewiston. It's got the it's got the great facility, those teams from the south. You know how the teams in the south are. They don't like to go above Portland. They can help it. So and I'm I, I literally mean that. So Lewiston would be a nice compromise. I, I, I think, think I think it's gonna be a facility that uh, you know, of course both you and I have been involved in the MPA over the years and both served as uh, MPA presidents. Uh, I think as as the MPA goes looking for facility for their playoff games, it's going to be hard to beat uh, that facility over at Lewiston. And when it comes state championship time, that facility might be equally uh, usable, specifically given its location uh, and the kind of facility that it, it's going to be there. I just really impressed. Well, we're overdue for a break. You want to stick with us? So on the other side, we go till noon here. Oh, yeah, I'll stick, uh, I'll stick around. The company's, company's pretty company's good. Company's not bad. <laughs> More with Gus Lank in a moment. This is the B-List Daily on Sports Time 780 and live online, sportstimemain.com. There's a winning culture when it comes to sports teams in New England. Well, now there's a new team to add to the list. The orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners. An all-star team of orthopedic care right here in your backyard. Four of the area's top orthopedic practices, OA Centers for Orthopedics, Central Maine Orthopedics, Falmouth Orthopedic Center, and Maine Ortho have joined forces to become a dream team of orthopedic care, where physicians, surgeons, sports medicine specialists, and clinical staff share resources and work as one to make patient care efficient and more affordable. To learn more about the orthopedic team at Spectrum Healthcare Partners and connect with a provider in your area, visit spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. That's spectrumhcp.com slash ortho. We believe in better, a better way to invest, a better way to serve you, and a better result. At Frisbee & Associates, we can help you determine how much risk you're taking, red flags that could be potential problems for you, how much you're paying in fees and commissions, potential tax liability, and how to address Social Security. For your free consultation, call Kevin Frisbee at 241-7430. Frisbee & Associates is located in Rumford, Brewer, and in Lewiston at 656 Main Street. Call 241-7430 online at frisbeebenefits.com. See something? Smell something? Do something. When your basement or crawl space smells, don't ignore it. Odors, mold, and harmful pollutants come from too much moisture and not enough air circulation making your home unhealthy. Do something. Call Wave Home Solutions today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. Experts recommend ventilation instead of dehumidifiers to reduce moisture and expel harmful gases and pollutants. Wave moisture control units continuously dry out your home transforming it into a fresher, healthier environment year-round. Wave units cost only pennies a day to operate, 
and there are no buckets too empty. Call WAVE today at 1-888-980-WAVE or go to goodairusa.com. That's goodairusa.com or call 1-888-980-WAVE. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. Call Wallen Associates now and pay less than you owe. 800-727-0433. That's 800-727-0433. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free, call 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800- 800-679-0969. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 1-800-679-0969. That's 1-800-679-0969. All aboard MBR.org! The place to get all your high school and amateur sports news and information. MBR.org is in high gear with Maine High School Winter Sports. Go to MBR.org to chat about your favorite team. Find the latest articles, travel news, and cancellations or visit their all new and very popular team pages mbr.org has everything you want to know about high school and amateur sports in maine coming in february all the high school tournament action at your fingertips 24 7 it's high school sports heaven all aboard mbr.org Bring your talents to PepsiCo. If you have a Class A CDL and you are 21 or older, apply for a new career at PepsiCo in Auburn as a full-time relief driver with a competitive benefits package beginning on day one, including medical, dental, vision, legal, paid holidays, and vacations, and a 401k plan with company match. Our drivers are home every night and earn $20.50 to $22.40 per hour. Now offering a $1,500 sign-on bonus, PepsiCo is an equal opportunity employer. Apply online at pepsijobs.com. Hate myself now. <laughs> Felix Daly on Sports Time 780 live online at sportstimemain.com. Aaron Morris filling in for Maddie B on this Thursday in studio with Coach Dave Wing and Coach Gus LeBlanc. And uh, Gus is going to be the defensive coordinator at Lewiston High School this fall, returning to Lewiston after a few years away. And first of all, you obviously got into you know education, into coaching at a similar time. And I've always wondered this: when you're at a school where you're, you know, have an important, you know, administrative job, but you're also te- or you're also coaching or teaching or whatnot. And there's a lot to balance. How do you go about doing that? I mean, this this time you're just focused on coaching, but in the past, obviously, you've been doing more than one thing. I'd imagine. So. Well, yeah, um, I'm not sure I understand the question. Okay. <laughs> well, when you're the AD, for when, instance, when you're the AD and you have and, to coach, and you're coaching, oh, yeah, then. there's like you know, administrative versus coaching, and I know there's, I mean. This is typical in high school, but you know the head coach might be a math I, teacher. Or something. I, I well, face some of that at Skowhegan. We, I was the the AD at one time, AD head baseball, head football, 
phys ed teacher and phys ed department head. I don't know how you did that. That's the yeah. thing. Like, and that's... two days a week, <laughs> just the way the schedule worked, two days a week I taught every period. Yeah. So trying to get all those things done, it, sure. it's a rub. And I did have a situation where the girls' basketball team had gotten a fiasco and <laughs> and break, broke the rules, and it was a mess. And, of course, I heard a lot. Oh, well, sure, you're going to discipline them. Did you discipline any football players? I mean, so I heard that. So that's the rub of when you're the person who makes those decisions versus yeah. you also have your own team. That, that's different. Yeah, when I was at Dexter, I was the assistant principal, the athletic director, and the head football right. coach. So I was pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. pretty busy. And, 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 you know, and Dave, and boy, I, when I was at Dexter, it was a very successful time. I mean, we, uh, we won two state football championships. Yep. Uh, the soccer team went to the state championship. We won uh, two basketball uh, championships. Uh, and uh, our field hockey team, which has always uh, been good in Dexter, was good. outstanding there. So we were on this, and academically, the school was right on top of its game. Um, but I remember we going to the state championship, and the uh, the soccer team was going to the uh, uh, their their championship game as well. And um, the the policy at the school was always uh, on those days that we would give the kids like seven dollars a piece for a meal, and I gave the soccer team a they're seven dollars a piece, and of course had a football team. But my wife and I, my wife Patty, has always been, you know, really actively involved uh, in, in coaching with me, and you know she'd be there and take a lot of the team pitches. Was close to the kids when I was out scouting on Friday nights. They'd come over and talk to her about the players. Come over and talk to her about their their girlfriends and their problems and that kind of stuff. So we sit down. And we said, hey, we'd like to do something special for the kids. And so we decided to kick in some of our own money and take the kids to a, a fancy restaurant and, and pool it in with a 750. Well, that was uh, a, just mm. a minor storm. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, the athletic director is spending more money on the football team because he's a football coach, uh-huh. yeah, even though it was our own money. Uh, so you do run into those things. But getting back to the essence of your questions, and I'm sure that Dave uh, is going to agree with me because I know Chris uh, has kind of been through some of this with him as well. I think when you've got those dual responsibilities, uh, you know, of a leadership role in the school, and you're also coaching, and you and you're trying to divide. In the end, uh, it's usually your personal life uh, that that ends up uh, being shortchanged. Uh, and uh, you know, for me, I I my wife Patty was uh, she chose to become uh, involved in the game and was kind of in a lot of ways an assistant coach, uh, and that allowed that to happen for me. If, if that hadn't happened, I think it really would have negatively Im- impacted my my personal life because I think if you're a school leader and you take that seriously, you know that you can't take shortcuts. You, you got to do your job. You got to put the time in. You got to be responsible to people. And at the same time, if you're a head coach or you're, you're coaching, uh, you don't you, you don't want to shortchange that either because there's kids that are depending upon you. Uh, there's a coaching staff that's depending upon you. And there's only so much time in the day, so you have to come to some kind of a personal um, adjustment or a personal decision that uh, I'm going to have. This is going to have to intrude on in my personal time. And having a spouse that will support you in that way is what really makes that happen. If you don't have that, it doesn't happen. Would you concur, Coach? Yeah. Oh, there's no question. Matter of fact, I was going to say, my coach was my wife's a coach. Yeah. And. Not once that I ever hear. Let me get this straight. You're gonna scout. You're gonna play on Friday night. You're gonna scout <laughs> all day Saturday. You're gonna watch the films all day Sunday, and then the coaches come on Sunday night. Yeah. If I got that straight, not <laughs> once right. did she ever say that. When I went back as a principal, 
on a Sunday because I had something I want to catch up on. Not once did she say, I'd say, I'm going to be, I got to go up to school. I'll be gone about an hour. And she used to laugh and say, David, take us all, you know, it's going to be more than that. <laughs> you know, hour, whatever yeah. you get back, you get back. It's really important. When, when we used to take the coaching course at Maine from Walt Abbott, he said, you got to be aware of your, 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 your spouse or significant other and your assistant's significant others because if they're complaining all the time at home about how much time you're spending, because remember, this is something you really love. If they're not in in some way, it's going to be miserable because you're going to listen to that all the time. And I'm not saying they're wrong in wanting you home. Don't ever, don't ever say that. Now, when I was coaching Scott Hegan, Josh was born the last year I was a coach. So we didn't have any kids at home for any of that. I, I was saying, this is this was baseball softball project. She's the softball coach. We had a, a ca- batting cage at the end of the gym. So 94 feet basketball uh, batting cage. So we worked out that it would be better instead of having one team have to wait completely. I would be in the cage with my kids hitting. She had the whole rest of the gym. Because I knew she going to be able to handle her team. They're not going to be screwing around. Or the guys and the girls, none of that. And then... The next hour, that was for an hour. The next hour, she would have the cage. I would have the gym. So both teams were involved as opposed to those kids just sitting around school waiting for their practice to start. Uh, And we always did that. And then in the early days, we did the same thing with the JVs of both teams. Only we both stayed. So we were there four hours. Kids are there too. We were there four hours each and then go home. I mean, it just became a way of life for us. It's what we did. And... Don, I was lucky. I've said that a long time, 41 years worth, (laughs) that I was lucky who I found and who found me because it's been a nice match. I mean, we really have understood, and now she's doing more coaching than I am. (laughs) You know, she's still doing coaching here and there. But you're the co-host of a daily talk show, so you have that. You know what? By the way, I've asked her to come on. She said, absolutely not. I go, Chris, you'd really be good at that. People would find the insight. She goes, no. Do I have to say it any other way? N-O, no. You know, they asked her a hundred times since she was a teacher, Would you, you should be an administrator. And she always said, no, I don't want to do that. And they said, why not? She says, because I've seen what happens. Sometimes you have to fire somebody. Sometimes you have to chew their butt. Sometimes, she says, I, I, that's not what I want. I want to be a guidance counselor. I don't want to do all that mm-hmm. stuff. Now, interesting enough, guess what both of our master's degrees are in? The two of us. Guidance. Guidance. Yeah. He was, was a guidance counselor. I was just actually one year, but that's that was my training, guidance. Yeah, me too. Two of us. And, and, and quite honestly, I think uh, I've talked about this before with people. I mean, I think part of, one of the big parts about being a coach is, is communicating. Communicating with kids, communicating with parents, communicating with other coaches. And um, being trained as a counselor, I think, uh, was... Um, uh, uh, really provides you with a, a pretty good skill set uh, that helps you. And I think that not only helped me as a coach, but also as an administrator. I, I really believe that. And, uh, and, you know, especially with high school kids, I think um, communicating with them and making, uh, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to them on a personal level, uh, you know, because there's so much emotion involved. Um, and, you know, high school kids are just emotional to begin with. I just think that whole communication piece is, is just so important, so, just so very, very important. Same with parents. Yeah. To be able to calm down the situation with parents, use every skill you've got in the bag, I'll tell you, because 
they wound up, and right, you know, especially around graduation time, that that was some of the worst stuff. Or also trying to calm down other coaches. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that too, that too. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious. Um, the book um, that Amy Bass wrote, One Goal. You're in it. You're yeah. you're you're interviewed, and because uh, you helped integrate the Somali refugees into the Lucent community, and now the the news recently was that Netflix is going to try to make a series like Friday Night Lights type series. Out of one goal, out of, based on the book, kind of. So I want to know uh, a movie or a TV series. Who's going to play you who's in that? Yeah. George, George Clooney, definitely, George, yeah, <laughs> definitely <go>. George Clooney. <laughs> I love it. All right, George Clooney. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but I, I think um, um, I've been I've been heard before that at one point you looked exactly like Rob Reiner. Is that right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> when I when I was younger, when I got out of college, uh, my hair was a little longer, and uh, actually. Some of my friends used to call me Meathead. Now, the younger generation won't understand uh, about the movie, the show All in the Family and who Meathead was, which was a character that Rob Reiner, but yeah, people used to say that, but quite honestly, I'm much, much better looking than Rob Reiner. So. <laughs> I remember the first time Patty showed me a picture, I went, that, that's Gus? What? You know? So here's the other part of that. We, we, become, we had become friends, and so he comes to me one day, he said, uh, you got a, a socialized position open? English societies. I think it was English, a combined yeah. position, yeah. and I said, "Yeah." And I said, "Boy, I tell you, finding that combination." He goes, "Because I, I think my wife Patty's gonna, gonna apply." And I'm thinking, "Oh boy, <laughs> if 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 I don't hire her, is is that gonna end our friendship? You know that kind of thing." And and all this worry. Well, we knew the second we met her, uh, and that's the one I told you that we right. we kind of kid her in the interviews because she went to Bates. For she two took years. that seriously, by the way. She thought, you "Oh were yeah, being oh, serious. we didn't, we yeah. didn't tell her." <laughs> We didn't tell her that we, when we kidded about, well, we're not going to hold the Bates as Well, that was a Jeff Sturgis yeah, joke. That was, that was <laughs> a Jeff Sturgis. She had no idea he went to yeah. Bates. Like and uh, <laughs> anyway, she, she held that in. But when school started the next year, we finally, I think we finally told her. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we loved her and she was there. How many years was Patty at Oak Hill? Well, my son is uh, 32 and uh, the first year we moved here, she didn't... Uh, she didn't work so my guess is she was at Oak Hill about 30 years yeah wow and we loved every minute of it and I, I used to kid her I used to say to the the secretaries in the office hey look Patty would be standing there in the office I said when I'm gone to this conference tomorrow if Patty LeBlanc comes in the office and tries to use the intercom and you let her you're fired all of you <laughs> fired and Patty would say just as serious like what I go no you can't get on the intercom and just say crazy stuff. You can't. No. God, she was, she was fantastic. It, it was just a great uh, great relationship. So and, and Gus and I worked together. Yeah, he came to right. kill. For, and, one, uh, for a little more than a year. Year, year, yeah. and, year and a few months. Year, year and a half, yeah. yeah. You coached yeah. together then at all? No. Like, no. Never on the same coaching staff? No. Dave, Dave, no. Dave told me early on, I'll never hire you as a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Can't everybody knows more than me on my staff? Come on now. Again, well, Dave, uh, if I know more than you do, then you just shot, you just uh, said some making a really negative remark about yourself. <laughs> We've always had a good time, and um, my my son went to Levitt when Gus was the principal. My daughter, I don't think she was there yet. No, I think she was in the junior high. Yeah, she was in middle school. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and then my wife, when she went to high school, my wife came to the middle school. She she just yeah. finished her twentieth year at the middle school. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we we've, we've known each other a long time. Uh, done a lot of things together. We were 
we went mentors back and forth with the administrative certification and uh, like I said worked together uh, for a couple years at Oak Hill year and year and plus and uh, just have some good uh, good times and good memories yeah absolutely yeah and and coaching I mean I've made no pretense about it sports has been really important in my life I think um, I crazily thought I went to Maine to play football, you know, as opposed to getting an education. Uh, and like a lot of uh, athletes got, sometimes got that, that straightened out. <laughs> well, that's why I changed my major yeah. three times. Walt, Walter said, "I beg your pardon. You, if you miss another class, young man, you know, that was the end of that talk." And uh, and then, you know, when I first started, I was uh, even before I actually got back into I was student teaching. I coached at Colby. You know, I just had some great opportunities because of sports, and now here we are on a sports radio show. I mean, it's a dream come true. Absolutely. You know, talk, talk to people like Gus about sports. You know, it's interesting because uh, I was thinking about that the other day. You know, sports, you know, often uh, gets a black eye, you know, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and of course, the rest of the world, you know, my job, I've been dealing with a lot of international clients. And, you know, they're always amazed at our, uh, our endearment with sports in this country. But, you know, when you, when you wade through the negatives and that type of stuff, I, you know, I think it's important to understand that the, the impact of sports uh, on young people, uh, high school age people and that, uh, can be just so, so positive. Uh, you know, I, I, I attribute a lot of uh, where I've been in my life, the successes I've had and the things I've done uh, because of the, my involvement in sports. You know, I grew up in an era, I, I mean, uh, my hat's on the hook. I don't have it on my head, but it's a Green Bay Packers hat. Uh-huh. I've been a Packers fan since I was a very, very young boy and uh, grew up in the Vince Lombardi age. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that uh, overcoming adversity, being part of a team, um, realizing that there's something that I, I don't do well and trying to work at and proving it, uh, you know, having success, uh, even things like overcoming injuries uh, and adversity, uh, it just, <clears throat> that's had such a positive impact on my life. And uh, I think sometimes when, we, when, when all, we get caught up in all the money in sports and the things that go wrong, and, uh, and sometimes there are coaches who are totally inappropriate and don't handle kids well and do things that they shouldn't do. But when you get all beyond that and you really get down to, you know, what, what's, the, uh, what's, what's in it for kids just some really really I think great personal growth things great character building things and, and, and great life skills can come out of that and so that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to getting back into it full time right and especially high school sports because you know even at the college level sometimes it can be like you know big money as you mentioned yeah. and high school Except for maybe like Texas high school football, it's typically not <laughs> like that, right? You know, there's not a lot of big money or big egos involved, typically, I would say. I don't know. At least I've noticed that in Maine. It's been, you know, I've been here for three years now broadcasting the high school sports here, and everyone's really positive, and it's been, you know, a good experience. And so. there's, there's still a sense of uh, purity in high school Somewhat, sports yeah. in Maine, I believe, yeah. that maybe has been lost in some other states where, where money has really intruded into even at the high school level. Right. Yesterday, Cali Oates calls in either Tuesday or Wednesday, and and uh, he called in yesterday, and he's in Kentucky now, and uh, just outside of Lexington, I think. Somewhere. Georgetown news graphic, yeah, yeah, right? That's you know, Georgetown. Yeah. Anyway, he was talking about they have their hands-off periods right now. After that, look, it's open season. They, they start practice for everything, and uh, 
I think I said, so you don't have no sports season? That's when he said, well, we just had it. <laughs> Get two weeks, ready to school ends, and that's it. And basketball can start practicing. I mean, they can all start, and uh, there's very limited rules on it. And I said, you know, I know sometimes the sports season policy has gotten a bad rap. You know, well, we're reading mediocrity and with this and with that. But you take you take like a guy like Gus, who's a kids like him. They they want to be around him, whatever. He starts saying, "Oh, I need you at this." You basketball, uh, yeah. Pretty soon, you got nobody playing basketball. Or you got nobody playing baseball because they they want to be around the coach that they really care for and is doing well and whatever. And suddenly, those kids aren't doing the other things in high school that they should be doing. And so the MPA, right or wrong, stepped in and said. We ought to have some parameters on how much time you, you each can spend with somebody. Now, like I say, a lot of people say, well, geez, you're, you're not letting kids. Would you say that to a chemistry student? You know, well, in some regards, you, you would put some parameters on them. Yeah, but, but I, you know, I think it's a nice balance because what it, what, what it really says is the school is not in a position to demand that you're involved in their sport. It doesn't say a kid can't go to basketball camp. It doesn't say a kid can't play no. s- summer basketball. It doesn't say a kid can't go play soccer, can't play hockey, whatever. It doesn't say that. But it, it makes it a choice for the kid and their family. And it, it just tells the schools, you know, there's a hands-off period there. And, and I don't know. I, I know there's people have been critical of that. But I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's a gesture of respect to allowing kids to be kids and allowing families to be families. And make the choices that they want, and 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 in my mind, that's a good thing because, uh, you know, we I see some places where you know, like you get kids who are football players and they're in high school, they're a sophomore in high school, and that's all they specialize in, and they don't go out and play basketball, they don't play baseball, and that type of stuff, and I think allowing kids to do those other things it, it really allows them to become a well-rounded person, and I think part of our responsibility as coaches and as athletic administrators and people that involve in athletics is um, to not just be takers from kids. Okay, I want this kid and I, I want to take everything I can from him to be a football player, but also for us to be givers and say, okay, we want you to be a well-rounded person. We want you to be well-developed. Uh, you know, we want you to have maybe the personal time and family time that uh, however your family chooses to use that, uh, that we may not always have as a coach ourselves. I just think that's – I'm sure there are two sides to that argument, but I think erring on the side of allowing uh, people to, young people to be themselves and giving them some off time uh, or time where they can make that decision, I, 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 I believe in that. People, you ask me why, you know, we put, we put lights in at Skowhegan while I was in. They said, well, why do you like uh, Friday nights? And I said, well, a couple reasons. I said, first of all, there's nothing like playing in Friday night. I mean, it's, the, the air is electric. People often work, more of the parents can be there, and so on. A lot of parents work on Saturdays. And I said, you know the other reason? I said, I work the stuffing out of our kids during the week. And you know what? Then they have the weekend. I don't put any demands on their weekend. Uh, I just feel that's a time for you to be with your folks, to to go fishing with your dad, whatever you, whatever your activities that you do as a family. That's your time. I know some coaches have kids come in on Saturday morning to check for injuries and and do a light walk through or something like that okay fine but still they have in essence the weekend for them and i like that i like it a lot i, I would agree dave i think it's a real positive about about playing friday nights um you get used to it because other than chevrous the 98 <laughs> percent of that league is 
in in uh, the pine tree is Friday nights, and there's no the scouting's on film. There's right. very little opportunity to go see somebody. Right. Yeah, and interesting. I was looking at Lewiston's schedule this fall, and we got one of the toughest schedules oh, in yeah. Class A this fall. You know, we open with Oxford Hills. We got Thornton, Chevers, Portland. We go to Bango. We got Wyndham. Scarborough. So Scarborough and Thornton are your crossover games. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, you yeah, couldn't that is any. tough. That is very <laughs> tough. Yeah. I had to pick two tough ones. That would be it. <laughs> wow. So yeah, we so uh, yeah we've got a tough schedule and uh, but uh, uh, someone's going to get that schedule. Yeah, it yeah. just happens to be you Lewis play who they tell you to play. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and hopefully those uh, as I look at that tough schedule, maybe we'll be a tough opponent for some of those uh, those schools. There you go. Well, we're out of time here, but Gus LeBlanc, thanks so much for joining us here on the B-List Daily. Coach Dave Wing as well. My name's Aaron Morse. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. And uh, Matty Beats on vacation, but we have some best of the B-List uh, for tomorrow and the rest of next week. And so for now, this is Aaron Morse signing off.